0: So I'm wondering uh, this week, how you're doing? Tired? Discouraged? Ready to go? Ready to ready to face another week? How are you doing this morning? Yeah, kind of, that's how I thought, I guess. It, it's kind of funny. I, I had said when I when I came up here, hey, Nathan, you can you can throw it up right now. Um, as I uh, as I came up here this morning, I, I had made the statement that. You know, it's kind of hard on these mornings once you've experienced a few days of spring to wake up and kind of face the day when suddenly the clouds and the storm and the snow and the slush come again. And I realized even as I said that, I said, well, that's actually connected quite a bit to what my message is going to be today. Um, Last week we finished talking about joy. Well, last week's whole message was about joy. Uh, And and I had said this is basically Solomon's, as far as the argument he's making through this book of Ecclesiastes, this was, in a sense, Solomon's climax to his approach of how we should respond to this breath of life that he's been talking about this whole time. These perplexing difficulties of life, this this breath of our life that's so fleeting, it's over, it's confusing, it's perplexing, we, we face realities that are hard. And he gave kind of his his kind of the the apex of his argument last week, where he says to us, he says, I, I, "Hey, I commend joy." And I love that kind of phrasing. I, I, it, to me, it was kind of like, "Have you tried this? Have you tried? Have you tried joy?" And I was inspired. I, I hope some of you guys were, but I was inspired after leaving last week. I was inspired to like to like you know take life with both arms and. And this joy of of finding joy in the day-to-day. We ended with uh, this verse last week in Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds it to do, do it with all your might. And we talked about that joy of contented work. It's interesting, uh, the Bible connects this idea of joy and, and work. Like the phrase that comes up again and again through the Psalms. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so we had talked about this idea of well, one of these aspects of joy is actually, is actually, well it could be being motivated by joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength to actually work through the day to day tasks and opportunities and responsibilities that God has given you as, as your lot. Actually being able to perform them with strength out of the joy of the Lord. Joy could also be the motivator at the end of what we do, and the I, I always love this phrase. And uh, I think it's in the book of what's in the book of Hebrews, where it actually speaks about Jesus, where it says, "For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God." And I just love that idea and that picture of Jesus as he came into this world, as he came into this world um, to live among us, as he came into this world to to set himself in our place as our Savior. He experienced immense and enormous, innumerable suffering and pain. Yet for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he completed his work, sitting down at the right hand of God. And so this connection of joy and strength for the task is, is made explicitly at times in the scripture. Um, last week, we, we looked at the second part of this book that... Uh, of this verse that I have up here, it, kind of this idea that Solomon is saying is: now is the time for living. Like now is the time in our life where God has assigned us our lot. He's assigned us our task, and He's assigned us. And, and this was one of His His arguments last week: is is n- not not being paralyzed by this, but actually 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 embracing life and living the life as God has assigned it to us. Obviously, this is. Broader than whatever employment. We're gonna talk a lot today about work. In fact, some of you guys might think we're talking too much about work today. But that's the, the big topic today is gonna to be about our work. And it's gonna be about how, how do we s- sustain ourselves in these tasks that can be redundant, repetitive, perplexing, uh, difficult. How do we sustain ourselves in our work? Now, I, I wanna say from the beginning, we're not, I, I don't wanna reduce this only to the, the employment that you do to get your paycheck. It could be, you know, you could take, I'm going to talk in principles from these chapters in Ecclesiastes, but you could take this and apply it to different types of work. You could take it and apply it to the work of prayer. What encourages you to continue in the hard work of prayer, in praying for things that you haven't seen God move or make seemingly any difference at this point? How how do you stop yourself from giving up in the work of prayer? How do you, how do you encourage yourself in the work of evangelism? sharing your faith with your friends, sharing the message that we've been given. And yet it seems like we, we run up against brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. How do you encourage yourself in your, your work of just simply moving on in your Christian life and doing the things that you know you need to do to grow and to, um, and to know the Lord more? How do you encourage yourself in that work? How do you encourage yourself as you're, as you're parenting or as you're working on your marriage? I, 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 you know, we can put all of these things... I'll, I'll, I'll speak mostly today about this lens of work but that lens is far broader than just our employment. All right? But that's, that's where we're going. One other thing I want to make clear, because I'm going to be talking today about works, and I do kind of want to make this clear from the beginning, because it's really hard for me to actually try to connect what I'm going to be saying today in these chapters in Ecclesiastes to, <laughs> to the message that we proclaim when we gather together as the church. And so I do want to kind of set something from the beginning. When I'm talking about our works today, I do want to encourage you, and and, and I do hope you know, that, that there is a relationship between our works and our Savior. I want to just hit that from the start. The book of Titus, I think, actually says it best. When the goodness of the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. So when Christ came to do His work, He saved us. Not because, we we looked at this, this verse already in this Ecclesiastes service, but I want a series, I wanted to bring it back. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit who he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace because of what, what he's done, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist on these things, that you who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And I just wanted to set this, because I'll be talking to the rest of the message today about our work, whatever that lot is that God has set in front of us. But I did want to kind of set this in context of this verse at the beginning, because this is actually a concept that actually kept me, this idea of work was a concept that kept me from becoming a Christian for a number of years. I won't say this is the only thing. In fact, I won't say, I won't even place the blame on that. It was the blame is on my own heart. But I was taught, uh, growing up to any kind of the Irish hardworking, my dad was a farmer in central Wisconsin. He grew up on the farm. And so I was always taught by my dad the value of hard work. And, and I remember being taught by my dad explicitly and my mom that, Dan, if you want, if you want something in life, you gotta work for it. Which is actually great wisdom, and we're going to be talking about that in the, th- from the book of Ecclesiastes today. But, however, what that meant was when I first heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that we all have separated ourselves from God because of our sins and are under his wrath, By we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, my thought was, hearing my father's words echo in my head, that, Dan, if you want something in life, you got to work for it. So my thought was, if I just get myself better, and if I just do better, and if I'm just a better person, if I just like scrub myself clean, maybe I can merit and earn God's favor. And so, so I want to be very clear what we're going to be talking about, this kind of work ethic in the mentality in these two chapters in the Song of Solomon. I want you to understand that as a Christian, we understand there's nothing that we could do to earn or to merit God's love and acceptance and favor in Jesus Christ, however God has sent His Son into this world, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of what we have done, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but solely and sufficiently on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Okay? I just want to clearly say that as we go into today, about why should you get up tomorrow morning and do your work. It's not that you can earn God's approval or favor. However, by the end of the passage, he says, this is a trustworthy saying, I want you to insist on these things, that those of you who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So we're not saved by our works, but we're saved to good works. Works and that's what we labor and we toil in. One of the verses I memorized when I was in college I was part of a men's service organization. So we'd go out into our community and we would, you know, hammer nails and we would clean up trash and stuff like that. And the the the, the verse of our of our of our organization I had memorized was Galatians six nine and ten. Let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of God. Every time we met together, we recited those verses with one another. Okay, so, so we're not saved by our works, but we're saved to good works. And so Solomon, I'm going to go back to this verse. Solomon does this. And I'm learning, it's weird when I, it's interesting when I take a book of the Bible and I begin studying a book of the Bible where I haven't read much from that author before. As I kind of saturate myself in it, I hope as you guys are doing this, you begin to understand how they, how each, how God's spirit and his inspiration of the entire Bible worked through individual human authors, using kind of some of their thought patterns to drive God's message home to us. And for Solomon, what I what I see what Solomon does, he argues very differently than the way I do. I'm an optimist. How many of you guys here would say you're, you're generally an optimist? Okay, so we, we have some optimists. So I'm, I'm generally an optimist. And so what I generally do is I will make a statement like this one. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And I'll make a statement like that. And then I will, if I'm saying that to like my kids, I'll like tell them something. And then what I'll try to do is tell them all the positive reasons as to why you should do this. All the benefits that will accrue if you work hard with your hands and do it all with your might. And I try to, like, emphasize all the positive things. Solomon, I've come to understand, you might call him a pessimist, maybe. Uh, He's a realist in general. And what Solomon does is he'll say, make a statement like this. He'll say, whatever your hand finds it to do, do it with all your might. And then he'll tell you all the reasons why you're going to run into difficulty. All right, so I was talking to, um, I was I was working on this uh, at the coffee shop this week, down Cafe Key Pence. I was working over there, and I heard this couple next to me, and I could tell they were like, you know, I don't know if they're married, but they're some young couple, and I could tell they're like sharing their dreams with each other, and they had just gotten back from looking at a property in Barhaven that they were going to rent, and I could tell they were going to do some sort of business. And so I asked them. I said, "Well, what, I can tell you guys are talking about starting a business. What kind of business are you starting?" And they said, "Oh, we do homebrew. We, we're we're homebrewers right now. We have an apartment over here, and and right now one of their bedrooms, an entire bedroom, is devoted to brewing. Brewer, I don't know how you say that, but brewing. And uh, they want to they want to move to Barhaven, a space in Barhaven, and open a brewery in Barhaven. So they're looking for space to go and do this." And, uh, and I was interesting. I was asking them all parts of their business and stuff like that. And then they said, you look like you're working on something. What are you working on? And I said, oh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, so I'm working on my message for this week. And they said, oh, that's interesting. What's your message on? And I said, oh, my message is actually interesting for what you just told me. My message is going to be on work today or this weekend. And they said, oh, what are you going to say about work? And I said, I'm going to say, I'm going to talk about from this book of chapter, ch- chapters in the Bible where it basically tells us everything that can go wrong when we start a business like yours. Like everything that can go wrong. Solomon is going to talk about everything that can go wrong when we try to put our hands to the plow. And they said, wow, okay, well that's interesting. (laughs) And so we were talking about some of that stuff. But this is... What we're going to do is we're going to do something that maybe some of you have done when you have thought about whatever your lot is and your task is, and you've made like these pros and cons lists about, and, and what I'm going to put at the top of this is why, and I, and I don't know how you're, you would phrase this question, but like, why, why should I get out of bed tomorrow? It's basically what we're talking about today. Why should I get out of bed tomorrow and put my hand to that plow and whatever God has assigned is my lot? Why should I get up and no, why should I just not give up? Alright, and so Solomon actually has a lot to about this. And like I said, Solomon is going to start with the cons. So he's going to first argue why you might want to stay in bed tomorrow. Okay? And we want to work through some of these because we're, we want to hear what Solomon has to say as realists. So the first reason why you might give up, the first, <laughs> reasons to give up, the first reason is this. I might fail. So Solomon, think about Solomon as a motivational speaker. Work hard, whatever your hand finds it to do, do with all your might. And the very next verse he says is, and the race isn't always to the swift, and the battle's not to the strong, and time and chance happens to all men, and life might sneak up on you like a trap. And, And here's his first point. You could be the swiftest strongest, wisest, most intelligent person in your field. What Solomon says is it may not matter at all because worldly success often comes down to timing and circumstance. Or as he says a time and chance. It 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 may not be like uh, I'm looking out actually I'm looking at <laughs> Daniel, you worked really hard. You're you're working really hard, right? And Solomon's going to come around and say, for all your hard work, even if you were the, the best, you know, most competent person in your field, you in fact may not succeed. I, I don't know about this couple. They could, be the best. They, could, they could be the best brewery in Ottawa, and they could be actually really good business people. And the success of their endeavor in Barhaven may come down a lot to time and chance. Whether they succeed or fail in their endeavor may not actually be an indicator of actually how competent they are in what they're doing. And so this is Solomon's... Now, now this might be encouraging to, uh, the, to those who are not the swiftest and the strongest and the smartest... It's like I have a chance, so so this is I put this on the con side of the ledger, but but I might actually go over to the pro side because it'd be like, well, I'm not the smartest, and oh my man, there's hope for me. So so maybe that's a reason to get out of bed uh, for many of us, but it but it definitely like undercuts a little bit of this idea of oh why do I got to work harder to be stronger and smarter and faster when it may not. I, I think Paul had the Paul had a healthy perspective of this. In uh, in 2 Corinthians, he he would talk about how he knew the lot that God had assigned him, and he knew how to be responsible within that lot. But he said, I laid a foundation and Apollos watered it. But it's God who gives the increase. That Paul didn't judge his success or his uh, competence in ministry by the results that came. He he judged it on the basis of his own faithfulness. Because time and chance happens to all. The second reason to stay in bed. No one listens to me. It's very demotivating to get out of bed when you're like, I go to my workplace and no one takes anything I say seriously. So Solomon actually tells this story. He says, I've seen this example of wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me. There was this little city with a few men in it and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. So little tiny town, big old king comes by with a big old army, Right? And he says, there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. What a great story. Good job, poor wise man. And then Solomon says, yet no one remembered that poor wise man. No one remembered him. I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Thank goodness for this poor wise man. He saved the city and everyone despised it for him and nobody remembered him. And Solomon kind of is giving us a, like Solomon's explaining life as it is. If you don't have the power, if you don't have the privilege, you don't have the riches, people may not listen to you. You may have this great idea and your boss or your manager takes it and takes the credit. And, And what do you do the next day? Do you still get up and work? Do you still get up and go to that workplace? Do you still get up and, and say, "Yeah, it's going to be worth it for me to get out of bed"? Or do you pack it up? No one listens to me. It's interesting. Solomon does give us here a little bit of hope too. He actually says, he actually says that 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 poor wise man that no one list, that no one listened to and that everyone despised, he actually did end up saving the city. Right? His his wisdom actually did save the city. It's just that he got no credit for it. Are you still going to get out of bed next day? Because that's often reality. And a lot of you might say, but that's not fair. If I had the idea, I should get the credit for it. And a lot of the older people in here say, you're right, that's not fair. That's life. It's life. Third, others mess up my work. You know, it's worse than, worse than not getting credit is maybe when you have a good idea, and other people are saying, that's a great idea! And then you give it to your manager, you give it to others, or you give it to the committee, and we start working on it, and then suddenly your really good idea starts having compromise introduced to it, starts having changes introduced to it, and suddenly the one good idea you had, the one good idea you've ever had, is ruined as it's brought to fruition. As trade-offs and compromises are reached. And Solomon writes about how foolishness, a little foolishness, can destroy wisdom. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, he says. But one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, and so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Yeah, he's not making a political statement there. What he's, he's actually saying is that there's a, there's a difference and a distance between wisdom and foolishness, but just a little foolishness can mess up a lot of wisdom. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone he's a fool. If the anger of a ruler rises against you, don't leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun as if it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. A little foolishness can upset the entire endeavor. And the reality is that probably at your workplace, as in every kind of hierarchical bureaucracy, there's... You probably don't have the power. Even if you had a good idea, you probably don't have the power to like make everybody do what your good idea was. And you're always going to be compromising with others, and you're always going to be probably under someone else's authority. And, and what, what he says at the end here is, "I've seen fools on princes' horses, and I've seen princes on the ground like slaves." The, uh, there's even a. This even has a name kind of of this idea of, uh, I, I worked hard, I got these good ideas, I gave them up to my boss, and uh, my boss was incompetent to execute them. There's even a name for that. It was called the P- the Peter Principle. And the idea was that in these bureaucracies, you're often promoted to a level above your incompetence. For people who, uh, maybe uh, to give an illustration, you might uh, some people might understand it if I called it the Michael Scott Principle. Like Michael Scott was his character on the TV show The Office. It's interesting because cause he's just an, an incompetent boss. Like he's 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 a really terrible, terrible manager, but sometimes they actually show him when he was a salesman or he has to go and do sales and what's interesting about the TV show is it actually showed he actually is a really good salesman, and you could understand you could some at some you could get some glimpse of why this guy was put in charge because he was a really good salesman and he was a really terrible 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 terrible, terrible manager so if you want to call it the Michael Scott manager. If you watch that show, you can, you can figure that out. But imagine working for that guy, and that's what the whole TV show is about. How hard it is to work for a fool who is set over you like a prince. Why would you get up and go to work the next day? The fourth one, now Solomon actually starts almost, like just, I said, he, he almost starts trolling with us. Like he almost starts kind of just joking with us. Because look what he writes next. Here's the fourth reason. Why might you stay in bed? I might get hurt. And look, how, look what Solomon says. I think find this funny. He says, He who digs a pit will fall in it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and he doesn't sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. But if the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. I think back when I was in university, I did a lot of manual labor. And so this this verse brought me back to that manual labor, where it was like move heavy stuff from this area. My job for the whole day is move heavy stuff from this area over to this area. And then tomorrow I'm going to move it from that area over to this area. And that was my whole job. And I love Solomon, is like, the one who quarries stones will be crushed by them. And you stay in bed and you say, listen, I can. If I, if I get out of bed today, I might actually do more harm than good. Obviously, Solomon says, if you work smarter, if you sharpen your axe, if you write, you know, we have idioms like work smarter, not harder, use the right tool for the right job, A- apply foresight to your work, wisdom may help you to succeed, but then he finishes, the serpent may still bite you before it's charmed. And the fifth one, why might I stay in bed? I will mess it up, and uh, he he focuses on his word, on our words. In this, that that we can do everything right, and we ourselves could mess it up by our speech. He says, "The words of a wise man's mouth may win in favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words." though no man knows what is to be and who could tell him what will be after him. It's this idea that you can do everything right and you can mess it up just with one word out of season. And Solomon kind of concludes this whole thing. The toil of a fool wearies him for he doesn't know the way to the city. Why stay in bed? So... You have to understand what Solomon does, and, and this is what was interesting for me, is basically he's saying, he started out by saying, whatever your hand finds it to do, do it with all your might, and then he goes, and this is everything that can go wrong when you get out of bed in the morning. Great motivation speech. Solomon, let's look at the pros. The pros, so, so hopefully this might get some of you out of bed. Hopefully, some some of these might. And, and to be honest, I don't know if these are convincing. I honestly don't. But some of these are the reasons why I get out of bed in the morning. First is people depend on you. Solomon uh, gives this story. He says, um, "Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning." Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your prince 's feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness and he 's pointing to this principle that the character of the king, the good work of the king, the king doing things with propriety, you know not getting drunk in the morning but actually getting up out of his bed and going to work in the morning, actually impacts the entire land. For Solomon, I mean, Solomon was the king. This serves as his motivation to get up and to work hard for his people. Now, I'm not a king and you're not a king, but it might be one reason to get out of bed in the morning. There are people who are depending on me. Second, Solomon, and I love kind of Solomon's frankness here. You need money. Good reason to get out of bed to go to work tomorrow. And you go, this doesn't sound like a very spiritual sermon. And I admit, I'm struggling with it today, this morning as well. But Solomon is very honest. He's a realist. I love what Solomon says. Through sloth, the roof caves in. And through indolence, the house leaks. And bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. And money answers everything. And you say, that's one of the most cynical verses I've ever heard proclaimed and preached in church. And what I'm saying is, listen to what, in the context of Solomon's teaching about work and and, and and all that can happen when you get out of bed in the morning, Solomon's very frank and says, listen, your roof leaks, you're going to have to get out of bed and fix it. And third, critics get nothing. It's easy to stay in bed complaining about life. And Solomon actually talks about your bedroom here. He says, Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice and some winged creature will tell the matter. I just got this picture of this person in their bedroom, just complaining. Complaining about how unfair life is. Complaining about how gross the inequalities of life are. Complaining about how no one listens to me and I can't get ahead anyway. Complaining about all of this. And he's just sitting in his bedroom just complaining about the king and complaining about the rich people and, and uh, and it says the bird, <laughs> it says the bird of the air might hear your words and carry it to the king and, and that will lead to your downfall. And I was thinking about this uh, and I was like, Man, we don't we don't even need the birds of the air to do it anymore. We we don't just a bird of the air doesn't hear our words and take it to the king. We like we we willingly put all of our complaints out there. We 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 write on social media and we complain on Twitter. Uh here's all the stuff that's wrong with the world from our bedroom and then I realized that what's the what's the mascot of Twitter? Right, the bird of the air. <laughs> so I was just like kind of funny. I was just laughing about that. So yeah, the bird of the air is taking our thoughts and our complaints and, and we're really not accomplishing anything. I don't obviously I don't know if this is uh I don't know if to be honest this is very convincing to you. Why get out of bed tomorrow? Right? So we have the pros and we have the cons, but here's Solomon's strategy. Solomon's strategy for dealing with this difficulty of life in work. Why do we get out of bed? Why do we give it our all? The first thing is be generous and help one another. He says, Cast your bread upon the waters, you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. The basic message Solomon is giving us in these verses is what we do when we work hard. And if God does give us extra, and if God does give us and bless us to see the fruit of our work, he says basically this first not hoard not. Spurgeon wrote about these verses that there's wisdom here. Hoard not their bread, because if you do, it will mildew, it will mold, and it will be of no use to thee. So this idea of casting your bread upon the water is particularly this idea of not not hoarding for myself, but for investing it and for for sharing it um it's the proverb actually is from some other middle eastern sources or even an egyptian source that have a similar pro- proverb it says do a good deed and throw it in the river when it dries up you shall find it and and combined with number, verse number 2 most interpreters of these verses throughout scripture said I uh, believe these verses are, are not necessarily talking about, and I've heard these in this context, but they're not necessarily talking about in, in, diversifying our investments. But what he's talking about here is mostly about sharing and being generous with what the Lord has given us when we do work hard. It's the, it's the, it's a wonderful life principle. You guys remember that movie, It's a Wonderful Life? You have the guy George Bailey, right? And uh, his business endeavors completely fail. And he's gone completely bankrupt on Christmas Eve. Right? And he, he's about to kill himself because, because he's lost everything. And, uh, the angel Clarence, like, shows him, you know, here's all the people you've invested in throughout your entire life. And by the end of the movie, all those people that he had invested in through, through acts of kindness, through acts of his own charity, like, they come back at the end and they actually, they, they actually save him. They, they bail him out. And this, it's a wonderful life principle is a bit what Solomon is, speaking here cast your bread upon the water and you'll find it after many days give give a portion to seven or even eight for you don't know what disaster will happen to you he he uses a illustration from nature if the clouds are full of rain they empty themselves out on earth so so if god has blessed you if god has actually blessed the work of your hand then you're full and pour it out and share it with others and 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 pray for a return on on that generous investment charles wesley uh, saw those verses in that way. He said, Learn, O oh man, the practice of liberality. The practice of liberality, of sharing and being generous with what you have and pouring out and sharing your generosity with others. Learn, O oh man, the practice of liberality from the very lifeless creatures from the clouds. When they are filled with water, they don't hoard it up, but they plentifully pour it out for the refreshment of both the fruitful field and the barren wilderness. Therefore, let us bring forth the fruits of righteousness, because death will shortly cut us down, and then we'll be determined to unchangeable happiness or misery, according to as our works have been. And this is basic This is Jesus' ethic of generosity. Love, do good, and give, expecting nothing in return. However, it says in Galatians, we, we do good for all people, and we expect that we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And finally, one of the things the book of Ecclesiastes, and I kind of said it at the end of last week's sermon, is the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the most life-affirming and I think motivating books that I've read in or outside of the Bible. And Solomon knows, he's a realist. He knows that when you get out of bed every morning, it's a dangerous task. And yet he says, don't let that stop you. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you don't know the way, the Spirit will come to the bones of the womb of a woman with a child, so you don't know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you don't know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. I mean, the basic, Solomon's basic message, when he's getting down to the end and he's spoken about, here's here's my approach to all of life, to to all of the breathiness of life, to all the perplexing difficulties of life. He said last week, we talked about the four joys, the joy of a clean conscience, of knowing that God has accepted and approved our work. Because of His own work on our behalf to save us. The joy of a confident presentation, knowing that if if God is on my side, then who can be against me? Like if, if God is, is on my side, then ultimately, you know what? Even if I fail and even if they kill me, I know my Redeemer lives and I know in whom I've believed and I'm, I'm persuaded that He's able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against this day. The, the confidence of, of loving the people who God has placed into my life. And then this, this confidence of this, of this doing this work with all my might with that, that lot and that task that God has set in front of me. And Solomon then says, listen, I know it's going to be hard. Like, like, here are all the obstacles that you will face. And at the end of, of, of kind of enumerating for us all those barriers that we may face, he then says, listen, Cast, cast your lot. In the morning sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper this or that whether both alike will be good.